Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of my man, Dale Dupree. Now, in 1984, his father launched a copy of firm, which unknowingly would later become Dale's pathway to his mission and his purpose today. Dale's father, from what I know and through Dale's work, was an amazing role model to him. And after his passing, it was clear that His legacy of integrity, perseverance, and service to others was an example that had secretly actually been rubbing off on Dale for years. And back then, when Dale was in the trenches as a salesperson inside of the copier industry, he had a nickname, and people called him the copier warrior. But in 2019, a new vision was being birthed. A new calling was about to knock on Dale's door, and that calling was the sales rebellion. And today... Dale's sales training firm is obsessed. I'm talking obsessed, right? You go check him out on LinkedIn and that word is real. Obsessed with giving other sales professionals the confidence to change the game in their respective industries and rebel against the status quo in the sales world today. But more importantly, people, he's a father, he's a husband. And from everybody who I've had the pleasure of actually interacting with who know Dale, they go, man, he's a high vibe dude. He's values focused. And he's driven by impact over income. So today, people, I pinned him down to talk to us about how to build a movement around your message and become a high-value salesperson. Dude, welcome to the show. What's good? Oh, my guy. Thanks for having me on. That was the second best introduction I've ever had. The only one better ever uh, was my brother when he introduced me at, at my wedding and gave the speech. That's the only one that was ever better than that. So next time no you'll way. have to try and beat that though. Okay. That's going to be the real kicker right there. So well, do you can't just say that and not tell me what you did now. What did he do to hit the top spot? It was just an awesome moment for me to be quite frank with you. I just, I love storytelling in general in the way that it can. It's funny. Everybody listening, Ravi got a, like a literal, Microsoft Word document that says who I am and what I do, right? And he turned the whole thing in upside down on its head just now and made it sound way better than it was written. And watching my brother give the best man speech at my wedding was like probably one of the hardest decisions. He was much younger than me and still kind of like in a place in his life of, of really figuring himself out. Uh, but mm. I believed in him. And I loved him and I've always loved him. Right. But I had, I had friends that had been around me just as long as my brother to an extent that were at that wedding. It was funny because some of them came up to me afterwards and were like, good choice. Right. But beforehand they were like, you're going to let your brother do the speech. Right. But my dude talked about playing Sega Genesis together and growing up and, and just like really gave everybody in the audience a good look at like me and who I really was, you know, from the perspective of somebody that got to be around me for my whole life. And I was super grateful for that, whether or not, you know, it ever sinks in that gratitude sinks in for other people or not. Right. It'll always be the the number one moment in my life when I was introduced to people by somebody else. It's funny when you've got a brother now, I don't have a brother, but a lot of my friends who had weddings, they did also have their best man as their brother. And he just, it's like a different level of personal that a best friend 
they just can't touch. They just can't get to because they weren't there when, I don't know, your brother smacked you on the head with a dinosaur and like, you know, made fun of you with your first girlfriend. You know, like there's those little moments you just can't get away from. This tooth is a veneer, right? It looks good, right? Because my mom's a dental hygienist, so all my teeth look good, right? No brags, uh, nothing but props to mom. That's all that is. But but yeah, like you were just saying, like my brother knocked that out with a marble. He threw a marble at me and it happened to ping my tooth perfectly and scatter the entire freaking thing, right? Of, any, of everything it could have it could have done to me, it did that. And every time I brush my teeth or floss my teeth, I think of my brother. <laughs> <laughs> well that's a story bro that is a story you could use on any stage right so i love it man uh, definitely a scar which is worthy of having bro and look man speaking of family i know it was your son's fourth birthday recently what i thought was interesting was was you've recently also had some big life changes where you've moved away from home comforts and i bet that impacted your family in a way both positive and negative so how was it to have your son's fourth birthday in a way which is completely removed from everything familiar? Yeah, it even just hearing you say it uh, makes me think uh, deeply about it. The whole choice of leaving what was normal behind and and places of comfort where they belong in the past, <laughs> it was an easy, uh, difficult choice for us because it was the main driver for why we are doing what we're doing today. When I think of something like a birthday for my son, like, yeah, there's some vulnerable moments there in that I don't have my thousand friends in Tennessee in the middle of a mountain like I did back in Orlando where I grew up that could surround him, show him love, make him feel comforted, important. There's no excuse uh, with that said to not do that for him myself. I think one of the things I realized in this transition and even like for my son's birthday is that I remember my birthday is like my birthday was a big deal for anybody listening that knows me. They're laughing right now, especially those who have been to my birthday parties. I used to have hundreds of thousands of people come through for my birthday. As a matter of fact, when I bought my first house in 2007, I know some of y'all are thinking, you bought a house in 2007? Yeah, I got ripped off right before the market crashed. It was terrible. I think I was at like a 9% interest rate. <laughs> but besides that, I was really stoked to have this house. And it was a duplex. Just to give you a really good visual, my sister lived in the front. I lived in the back. We had neighbors like at every corner, every like 50 feet kind of thing at every corner of the property line. And I had, I don't know, maybe about 200 plus people over to a house. It was like 1,100 square feet, like in total with the backyard, right? Like it was wild, right? But all the memories of those moments for me are more than just like, oh, there was a fight or somebody got drunk. Like those weren't the stories that you told at my parties. The stories you told at my parties were, man, we had a really good time. Because for me, it was it was just about being present and around people more so than anything else. And so like I would put on these elaborate parties, if you will, with so many people because what really juiced me up and, and got me like extraordinarily stoked about life were was my community and were was the, the success of other people. And so having people come over and just asking them things like for, for one time out of the year, how are you? How can I help? What are you building? How can I support that? Right. Even if there was not much I could do other than just give some encouragement. Those were like my favorite moments in life. And so when my son's birthday came up, well, first to tell the story effectively, he gets sick 
the day of, we, we had this whole Labor Day plan, hidden away, getting ready to pop out and, and he gets sick. He's got like a stomach flu. And, and so we like, we had to bail on his birthday, basically. And the same day we were doing his birthday was the same night we were celebrating my wife and I's 14th wedding anniversary. It just got intense, right? From that perspective and that we were like, well, what do we do here? Like, how do we make this fun uh, for all of us, including Trip, and it not be like about mommy and daddy and Trip got sick. And I mean, it was a lot of, there was a lot of emotion, right? And the next day I flew out to San Antonio, to Texas to give a keynote on Monday. And the worst part was like, I got delayed like 18 hours, right? So like, all I'm thinking about is like, oh man, I didn't get to do my dude's birthday the way we wanted to, you know, an hour and a half into his birthday, he's just like miserable and we take him home. And sure, I got to spend time with my wife and celebrate our anniversary, but was that the right thing to have done after not being able to really do much for him? So instead of like questioning myself, we just started pre-planning the next weekend when I was going to get home and what we we're going to do. And we did it exactly like we planned to do it on Saturday morning the following week. And he didn't care, bro. Right. He didn't even care. He was so stoked and excited and just happy with what it was that we were providing with it to him that he never once mentioned like, man, if only this was last week or, you know, nothing negative, not, like all the things you build up in your head, right. In those moments. Right. But we, we delivered, we had a great freaking time. And by the end of it, it was probably about six o'clock actually. So it wasn't the end. We let him step a little bit later that night. Like his bedtime seven, but we let him step to like eight 30 that night. He, so about six o'clock we're driving in the car and we're driving up the mountain which is where we live now. And I was like, Hey, you want to, you want to drive with daddy? And for the record, for all the police out there that hear me that are in this city, I will outrun you up the mountain. If you try to pull me over with my son on my lap. So bring it on. But when we get to the bottom of the mountain, there's pretty much nobody on the roads, two lanes, it's switchbacks. So we, I threw trip in my, in my seat, he rolls the window down. He sticks his hand out the window, starts like playing with the wind and, he turns and looks at me in the eyes like every like 10 seconds and just this big old smile. And we get to this little spot where we kind of stop to turn left. And he says, daddy. And, and I'm thinking he's going to ask me to like, you know, go to like turn the other way or, or go really fast. Or I said, what's up? And he goes, I love you. And it was just like the perfect moment, bro, where after all that, all the, the struggle in my mind of like not being home and, the struggle in my mind of not getting to take him out for his birthday on the day that was his birthday, right? All the struggles, right? They just dissipated in the moment after providing him with exactly what it was that he needed and I desired to give him. There was just this beauty in all of it that I can never really truly describe. But if you're a dad and you're listening, you get it <laughs> to some capacity, right? Where that transference of emotion from your son to you, a pure happiness. It's exactly why we do what we do. Ed, for those of you listening to who really just heard that amazing story, Dale runs a sales training firm. Do you realize how we've not spoken about sales once? And I'll tell you what, man, I want to acknowledge you for a second, is that what you do so amazingly well, which I think is really hard to do in an authentic way. And yeah, I said the word authentic, deal with it. But is you don't just care about 
the salesperson and their numbers in what you do. You really care about how they show up as a parent. You care about how they show up as a partner. You care about how they show up as a son or daughter. You care about the holistic view of the individual to make them a better salesperson. And as you can hear, ladies and gents, from that story, that just tells you everything about Dale and his values. And man, you know, it was funny. I think it must have been about a month or two ago. I was like, bro, I want you on the show. And I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something around the idea that building a community is hard. Okay, period. But honing in your message is difficult. But getting momentum with the both of these things at the same time is one of the hardest things that you can do in the online space right now, period. And Dale has actually been able to combine the two and actually build a movement around his message. And that message, by the way, being sales rebellion and what it stands for. And that's what I want to dig deeper into now and really uncover some of the tips that you have for those who want to be a true sales rebel in your words, man, today. So listen, there's a lot of noise, Dale, about starting a community in today's world, whether you're a salesperson, entrepreneur, there's a lot of noise about joining a community, building a community, rah, rah, rah. My question for you here is, is you could have just set up a sales training firm back in 2019, right? You could have done some marketing, tapped into your network in the copier industry and done great. What made you say, yo, I want to build a movement and I want to build a community? There's a lot of influence around it. I'll break it down into a couple of different parts so to make it easy for people to digest. The first is that when you're doing something for a living, there's a sense of purpose behind what you're doing or there's not. Uh, there is no gray area there. I don't believe that there's like a <laughs> a limbo in between purpose and not having purpose. I believe that either you have a sense of purpose or you don't. Now, there are varying degrees of purpose, right? Some people believe that their purpose is to go to work, make money and provide for their family. That is what I think most people get trapped in, Ravi, like, I think about myself even. I think about making very high six figures selling copy machines and how I could have just stayed in that world. And matter of fact, I didn't even need to like move into leadership. I was good at teaching people and I loved the opportunity to be able to just sit with a kid that was like 70% below his number for the month and see that as a really fun challenge instead of an obstacle that we didn't want to deal with as an organization, right? So I, I had something that drove, drove me a little bit different, right? But for most people, they'd be making that money and thinking, cool, how do I get to a million? Cool, how do I get to 5 million? Get, and then the thing about the money is, is that most people in that sense of purpose, they're thinking, cool, I'll never have to worry about money again. Yo, <laughs> let me just tell you people out there that, that might be thinking that. Money only solves money problems. And you, and, and you can never have enough once you start going for it. It will literally torture you. It tortured me all the way into it, the, like one of the deepest depressions that I had ever experienced in my adult life uh, that led to eventually uh, me considering suicide and actually writing a letter and trying to go through. But the whole thing, if it wasn't for divinity and my father saving me from doing that and my wife uh, the night of exposing the things that were going on in my life, I wouldn't be here today, quite frankly. And so when I come back, when I when I, I take us all the way to that cliff, the edge of that cliff, right, to really under, help you understand that when I say there's a purpose or there's not, <laughs> I mean it. And for me, that purpose was defined and redefined multiple times throughout my career, but it always came back to the same thing, which was, what do I want for my legacy? How is a community involved? 
inside of that? Or is it is it just a solo thing? Right. So I had to I had to really sit down and it become to terms with myself around my own belief and outlook of what purpose truly meant. And I had to go through some pretty difficult moments in my life in order to really help myself to see the vision of what that purpose truly was. Where I got the most joy was not in just making money and paying the bills and having a ton of it in the bank. And where I got the most joy was in the experiences that I was provided in my life. You know, so instead of buying the fancy car, I went on the three-week vacation instead. Right. Instead of doubling down and getting a fancy house and Airbnb and half of it because I don't live in half of it. <laughs> I instead I live very frugally and I put myself in a place where like I could be surrounded by people that I loved. Uh, easier instead of living behind a gate where it was more difficult to get to me from that perspective. So I was always thinking about, again, like how does, how do my decisions affect more than just me? And so my purpose was driven by building something bigger than Dale Dupree sales training. And dude, I'm not going to lie. When we started coming up with the ideas and concepts around this organization, as it is today, there was a temptation at one point to just kind of like do it by myself and be Dale to pre-sales training and make however much money uh, I would have made on my own and not really worry about building something much bigger than just like me and my company and what I do for people. But I founded the Sales Rebellion because of the people that I had come across in my life and, and the purpose that I tapped into through those moments that I spent with those people. So instead of saying, even to myself, I just want to be successful. I had said to myself, have you seen what you do to people when you tap into who it is that you truly are? Are you blind to the experiences that you've given to others, the life-changing moments that you've provided because you don't focus on Dale Dupree, but you do focus on the ultimate outcomes of a community, which is what really truly builds a legacy. And so for me, it was driven by purpose. Right, but it was also there was a a sense of that if I wanted to do something that was going to be good, I had to focus on the word excellence more than I did on the word success or on my click funnel. And so excellence looked like, well, where are my gaps? What will I never be good at that I have to come to terms with instead of trying to be better at it? Getting coaching, doing courses, forcing myself to think differently. Like, no, man, I want to be authentically Dale. I want to suck at some things. I'm okay with that, right? That's what actually makes me better to begin with. That's what drives me to every day to wake up and think a little bit differently, a little bit more outside of the box and get that 1% better that we all strive toward in the first place. But it doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect at anything. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be great at everything because of that. So behind that purpose was the sense of excellence. And how can I provide that to people in a way that they've never seen before? And what I really realized, bro, was uh, I can't do it alone. And B, that they we worship a person at the top. It's typically a white male, by the way. No offense to white males, I am one. To me, it's it's very strange the way that we we look at somebody who's lived a privileged life and lived in wealth and comes from three generations of Budweiser founders or whatever the case is. And, and they take all that success and fame and fortune and they go out and they pretend like they know how who you are and how you feel and what will make you successful. 
And I got fed up at that. And matter of fact, it was really like going through trainings in my sales career that just like made me roll my eyes for lack of a better way to say it. And not that I wasn't open to the way people taught things. I tried anything anybody told me to try because I was not afraid to risk and not afraid to try new things. But at a certain point, common sense started to kick in and I started going, I've experienced this stuff. I've been through these things. This person here telling me to do this thing is to be part of their community, to be part of their movement. This is not legit. This is fake. Nothing good will come of this. Do not try it. <laughs> I'd really draw the line for myself in some moments like that. And and I really sat back and thought about who's out there in the sales world doing what I have to do for myself. Who's out there enabling people in that way? And the sales rebellion was born based on that thought, dude, that we don't need Dale Dupree at the top, bro. Matter of fact, I'm trying to work my way down. I've been trying since the day I founded it. I stepped down as CEO at the beginning of this year and asked my business partner and one of my best friends in the world, Jeff Viegas, to step in and do that job because I suck as a CEO anyway. And also because I don't want it to be all about me. If I want to truly live to be a rebel, then I have to rebel against the status quo of myself just as much as I have to do it against the status quo of the world of sales. And so for me, it's like, at some point, I just want to be a shadow on the wall that a myth, right? The legend of the copier warrior that once was. And, and what that truly means to people and how it will enable them and impact them more so than it will give me a good reputation and make me sell more books and give me wealth and glory and fame and power. I don't care about those things. My, my wealth is found in my family. My glory is found in my savior. My power is found in the things that truly enable me as a human being, which go well beyond money and success. And I wanna provide those same moments and enlightenments to every single person that I can come across. Dude, you know, there's something that, came up for me when you were talking about that and I could sense it from your body language and the way that you were speaking. And it's so clear, bro, that you don't define Dale Dupree, who you are and your value simply by how much money is in your bank account. And I think that all of us have a bit of that in us or askew towards that way massively. My question to you is, is for somebody listening to this right now who's like, man, I'm so, I pull all my confidence from business and money. What is one step they could take in the next 24 hours to create some detachment from that level of emphasis that they put on business, career, and money? I actually go, I have this debate with people a lot, right? Like, I, I really appreciate you posing this as a question and advice because it's a debate 90% of the time when you speak to people. And usually what I do is I just ask people to just like explain to me. What your money has done for you. And now here's the thing, Ravi, is that like when I think about the wealth that I had and what it and what it really did for me is the, the best moments that I ever had with my, with my money, with my wealth to date are the moments of like cutting a check for ten thousand dollars, you know, like brushing off the shoulder numbers, right? Like high worth people can do things like that. So just a random person that I heard about through the grapevine of my community that had five kids and her husband died and they were trying to bury him in Arlington as a military, you know, service member. And she lived in Florida and had no money to get there. Couldn't find a babysitter for the kids. No way in hell she'd be able to afford hotels to get everybody up there. No way in hell she'd afford to keep her sanity in the midst of her grief, you know, in a moment like that to filling a minivan up with people and bags and 
driving to Virginia and uh, blessing that person in that moment to be able to just sit back and be like, I don't have to worry about one thing, at least when it comes to this topic, right? Which is that we're going to be okay financially. That's where money really blesses people and really works for people. When you can help them realize that moment, there's two things that happen. One set of, pe- of people that go, see, deal money is valuable. Well, it's as valuable as you make it. <laughs> Right. That's really all there is to it is that I took that money and created value through it in a moment for somebody else to help them understand that it wasn't actually about the money in the first place. Like the reason that they weren't able to feel, I should say, a little bit more safe and secure was because of what we've done with money and how we've put an emphasis on it and the way that most people, again, look at a dollar, right? That if I don't have one, I can't do these types of things. And I told that woman in that moment, you know, that strange person that I never met and that never knows who I am, or will never know who I am. I gave her a feeling and I gave her a belief that the world is bigger than money when it comes down to it. Because if she puts her mind to it, if she puts her heart to it, if she puts her soul behind it, she can do exactly what I did for other people as well. And money doesn't have to be the defining factor and her success. So, you know, usually that's where the debate heads, right? I'll ask people, I'll say like, cool, like you bought a Tesla cash, like cool brag. And then also like, what does it cost you anytime that you have any type of maintenance issues with that thing? And when you die, is it going to be an eyesore to your kids? There's dad's Tesla. Jeez. Here's all six of his Teslas. What are we supposed to do with these things? Right. Are they going to be something that truly impacts the people around you? community around you. Like I drive a Honda Civic from 2012 that I own. And every time I get in that car, it humbles me. And it reminds me of my roots. It reminds me of where I come from. Nothing. I come from nothing, bro. I literally come from calling my dad and saying, Hey, uh, can I come over for dinner with my wife? Uh, we're broke. And, and my dad, like nonchalantly not inviting me, not just because like he wanted to teach me how to be sufficient, on my self-sufficient, right? But also because he didn't have any money. <laughs> he was trying to figure out, trying to figure out how to eat dinner too, right? Without necessarily telling me that. But I digress. The point being that when when you come from those humble beginnings, when you weren't somebody that's enslaved to the dollar, it's much easier to be able to understand like what it really does for you and how it really serves a purpose in your life, as opposed to if you're silver spoon fed or you just always have had success or and like, dude, there's nothing wrong with money. Anybody listening right now is like, this Dale guy, is he like the next Gandhi? Like, no, not even close. I, I don't even understand how people can be that selfless in life, right? It boggles my mind, right? Guys like that, people like Mother Teresa. I would love to be like those people. I strive to it every day, but I'll never be that great, right? And it's that realization and like me saying that, that helps me to, to always like come back down to earth, <laughs> In those moments and say like, cool, well, it's, I say that, but I also, in my head, I believe that I could be. So I'm going to try to pursue it in a way that is actually fruitful to my life and not just like race to my couple million dollars to put in the bank, to make me money so I can sit around on my butt and do nothing for the rest of my life. It's not what I'm looking for, bro. What I'm looking for is to be 80 years old, writing books and hopefully ones that people still read. And if not, at least they laugh at the fact that I'm still writing books at 80 years old about ideas that are new, about things that people can gravitate toward and to latch onto themselves to be able to create success for them and not just because they want money, right? Because they're looking for more fulfillment 
on this earth. Bro, how many times has somebody died in your life? And anybody out there listening, I want to ask you the same question. Somebody died in your life and you go and you sit down at the funeral and all they talk about is how much money and success that that person had from a monetary standpoint or from a business standpoint, right? No, man, like (laughs) I've never been to one of those. I'd love to try one so I could like taste the difference for sure. But 99.9% of the time, the only thing that's talked about in those moments is, are the things that people will hopefully remember, hopefully, that's a word to use in that moment, hopefully you will be remembered for these things, right? I don't want to hope for a legacy, bro. I want to put my hope in other things, right? I want to believe that when I leave for people, it will be extraordinarily impactful. And that when I die, that they don't find a bunch of skeletons in my closet. They're like, oh, Dale said he was this way. But look over here. Look at this. Look at this evidence. Like, no, bro. That's why I lean into my relationship with my wife. That's why I left Orlando to be in a mountain 20 minutes from any city to be able to like really impact myself, my own thought, the way I look at convenience, the way I look at at comfort, and really get myself into a place of saying, I gotta put myself in a in a place to push harder to really achieve the things that I want to achieve more so than anything else. I gotta put myself in a place of belief and who Dale Dupree is, and not just for convenience sake, right? But because I really feel that way about myself, because the only way that I can truly impact others is to understand who I am and what I want. Damn, bro. It's funny. It reminds me of this quote that Jim Carrey said. He said, man, I wish everybody could get rich and famous. They realize that the answer isn't being rich and famous. And I do think that there's this idea, even from your story, that because you achieved a certain level of wealth, it allowed you to realize that that isn't it. And I think a lot of people need to sometimes get to that point and go, huh, it isn't it. But, you know, it's this, it's this trade-off that I think a lot of people struggle with. So for those of you listening right now, the exercise Dale was really talking about is asking yourself the question as to why do you value money? And when you are utilizing it, what impact are you having in the world? So really thinking about the why behind your money. Have a think, ladies and gents, have a think, because that's a very interesting question from Dale. Now, man, uh, listen, let's take a look at some of the things that you do really well. And let's take a look at how much of it is by accident and how much of it is by purpose. Because you've got this magnetism around your LinkedIn content. You've got this level of rawness that people are hearing right now. But if you were to look back at when you started in 2019 with the sales rebellion and look at where you are now, what are three things that you did by accident, which is serving you really well now? Let's go back a little bit further though on the, on the question, because it starts back in, in when I was 17 years old, because I had the opportunity to, to not just like be a musician and play in a touring band and be signed to a, a record label and then eventually a major record label. Like those things actually happened to me. It's like that 1% thing, right? Where people, they go, yo, you're living your dream. People said that to me all the time. You you are literally living a dream. You are living a lifestyle that people desire to live at your age. I mean, I'm 19 years old. I'm my own boss. You know, me and five other sweaty, smelly dudes, right? Selling albums all over the world, touring the United States, living the life. And I walked away from all that. I didn't walk away from all that for convenience sake either. I walked away from building that because it was my destiny more so than anything else, right? I accidentally fell into copier sales. That's literally what happened. Sure, my dad owned a company and I wandered the halls as a kid, 
and I learned, you know, everything from what it looked like to to work in the the accounting department to the service department to the sales department as as a child as well too. But your dad doesn't. I hate to bring it to y'all, but your dad doesn't just like hire you and pay you a lot of money. I mean, maybe for some of y'all out there listening, right? But he he made me work really really hard to do what it was that I wanted to do. And again, it wasn't my choice. As much as for me in the beginning, it was like, well, I'll just see if my dad will want to hire me. And if he won, I'll go get a job somewhere else. Right. was really the thought process in that moment. There was not in one instance there purpose, for lack of a better way to say it, behind those choices. The only thing that drove me to make those decisions was to be a better husband, to be a better friend. Right. There was a little bit of drive in some areas of my life where I was lacking. And, you know, my best friend at the time as well, too, was uh, having problems with drugs and he was in the band with me. And so getting him through rehab was top of the list, right? All of it an accident <laughs> at the end of the day, right? That has completely changed and redefined my life. I would say the second thing that happened to me was in 2009 when I was doing a bunch of sales calls and I was actually doing pretty well in 2009, believe it or not, especially with the recession and everything that we were going through in the United States with the economy. I mean, not that the world wasn't experiencing some of it as well too, but, but here it was just weird, right? For anybody that was in the States during that, that was a weird time, bro. It was like the original pandemic, bro. I mean, like I remember even the swine flu was a thing during that time and we couldn't go into businesses. Like you, you had to have an appointment. You couldn't knock on a door and, there was all these just random things happening that were really just kind of saying like, yo, you're, this is a dead end. You shouldn't have come and sold copiers. But I accidentally <laughs> ran into a person through an article that I found on the internet, by the way, that I then, I reached out to this person to like meet them. And it was about this idea behind driving experiences through your sales pitch. And, and so I, I stumbled on what is now the infamous crumpled letter inside of the sales rebellion. And at the time, it was an accident, right? It was just like, let's try this thing. And it was nerve wracking. But man, the first time I ever did it was so glorious. It took me a hot minute to get out of my car and like commit to doing it. But it was, I've never had an experience at that point in my career. I never had an experience quite like it. And I walked out of that place with a renewed vigor. And I already was like, cool with what I was doing and excited by it. But something clicked in my head that said, wow, I can do this in this industry. I can literally cause a sense of wonder for people. I can create undeniable curiosity. I can build moments of friendship instead of just having to like transact business every five seconds, every time I walk in a door, right? I can literally do something that's greater than me and my quota. Awesome. And the, I'd say the third thing that I think you asked for three. I hope you asked for three. I the the third thing that I stu- I accidentally stumbled into was LinkedIn. I was tweeting. It was like 2013, 12, and I was tweeting like every single thing that I was doing during the day. I laugh when I say that because like content is so much different nowadays, especially from a social strategy. I tweeted what I ate and like not like what the kids do, right? as everybody would say, like, I wasn't taking pictures, dope pictures of my filet mignon. I was like talking about eating cheesy biscuits at Red Lobster and getting like the cheapest thing on the menu to try and get full because I was, you know, not doing well financially or whatever the case may have been, right? That literally was what I was doing. So, but I started to realize that the stories I was telling 
the things I was saying, the experiences I was having were valuable to other people. And so I just kind of stayed in it. And suddenly I'm getting calls, especially when I joined LinkedIn and I was making posts on LinkedIn. If you go back to my first post on LinkedIn, it's pretty wild, right? It's way back there. It's 2015, somewhere in that range. And it's pretty wild. It's it's literally just me like talking out loud. It is honestly, to be quite frank, is no different than what I do today. It is very immature <laughs> in comparison to like where I am at now, right? But that post on LinkedIn, that like first post, it got me a, a $90,000 sale, right? From a guy that just happened to see my my post and think this is a cool dude and started following me. And eventually, you know, he sent me a friend request, right? Because that's all you could do back then. And he had to know my email and all this other jazz too, right? Or else he could just like take a chance and pay for an email or whatever. I can't remember the ones back then, but they were tricked on LinkedIn back then. And I just remember seeing his name and going, this dude's like down the street from my office and going and like making a connection with him face to face and realizing like, wow, if I hadn't just stumbled into this thought around like, maybe I should have an internet presence as an individual contributor in the sales world, right? And 2012 is when my dad's business got bought and I started working for somebody else. And that's what really drove me. I was like, all right, I'm going to go get lost in the company or I can still be Dale. I can still stand out. I can still create my legacy without having my dad at the helm of the ship and the Dupree name as the owners, right? I could still be something. And I believed it. I, and really what I did is I told myself I would become the greatest copier salesman to ever walk the earth. Not just like in my territory and not just pretty good, but the greatest ever. And I think that those were the moments for myself that I, I stumbled into consequently, <laughs> but without really necessarily having some kind of direction or plan or even motivation around those things. Really, it was like the real motivation was just like a risk. I loved risks, right? So anytime I could take one, I got like a little excited about it, especially at that point in my life. But those would be the three things really for me that I I stumbled on that created a lot more success for myself. And hey, the sales rep was born, you know, as a result of all these different experiences, accidental mistakes, successes that you've had in your life, man. And let me ask you this now, looking at things more from a salesperson's point of view is, you know, you've got a lot of people inside of your community, whether it's teams that you train or people in your Slack channel, you know, everywhere. What is the one biggest misconception that you believe sales reps today are unknowingly buying into, which will hurt them in the next 10 years. Continue to create the stereotype that somehow business is business and that it's not personal. The fact that so many sales reps out there buy into business as some kind of lifestyle really boggles my mind. It's one thing to be like very into a particular hobby or even a topic like inside a business. But boxing themselves into this thing where it's like, you have to look like this, you have to sound like that, you have to, you have to, you have to. Those are the things that drive me a little bit nuts, right? In sales, do these seven things. And if you're not doing these seven things, you will fail. It's this mentality really of, of people like checking out of their own skin as if somehow at eight o'clock when business starts, they're, they're not themselves anymore until 5 p.m. And that's literally what's happened to us as a society over time, in my opinion, when it comes to business is, is that like, there's not a lot of people out there that when you talk about the legacy they left as a business person, that you think about who they were as a human being. And that is a travesty to me. Yeah. You know, so when people say things like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really talk about the kind of music I like, or 
I don't like golfing. I like bowling. Right. And I'm afraid to tell people that because, you know, I can't really like take a client bowling. I can take them golfing. Like, yeah, yeah, you can. You can take a client bowling like for real. Like, stop telling yourself that you can't. So I think it's really just this mindset and mentality of like all the cans and can'ts <laughs> as if somehow there are rules in business, right? Like when people tell me, they say, that's not professional. I go, I go, what's professional? Right? It's usually where I head with that. And they're like, you know, it's posture. It's this, it's like, oh, so like, I'm not playing games. That's what you're saying. I'm not playing games. And because I'm not playing games, you're looking at me differently, right? You want me, you want me to play you like a game. That's what you want. You don't want to really interact with me like a human being. You want me to play you like chess or checkers, right? And by the way, chess is the only game to play in those instances, right? Like it's more strategic, right? So if you're playing a game, play chess, not checkers. Checkers is a little bit more rough, right? I'm totally just kidding, by the way. But thought process being, if we can get people to start thinking that it's not a game, right? This is real life. I'm interacting with you, a human being, and I should do it the same way I do with any other human being. I should instill a sense of curiosity. I should give you a belief to latch onto. I should help you to see that the experience I'm providing is so much different than everybody else because I really do believe in your success more than I do in my own because sales is built on servant leadership. Sales is not built on your stupid click funnel. It's not built on your crappy marketing campaigns via email that show up in my spam every five freaking seconds, right? That's not what success is built on. Success is built on relationships. Success is built and sales success is built on the people who buy from you. That's who you serve, right? They're not your master by any means. You collaborate with those people through servant leadership, right? That's the one thing misconception even servant leaders have sometimes, right? Like do everything at all costs. Like, no, like keep your mental health in mind. <laughs> like, like do everything for the good of what it is that you're trying to build. Not at all costs. That's just as bad as putting sales into the business box in the first place. But we got to kick that box, bro. We got to, the thing is, is we got to kick the business box so far away that we can't see it anymore. Matter of fact, we got to like put it in a dumpster, light it on fire, roll it down the largest mountain ever to exist into the deepest lake ever known to man. That's where it needs to go. And until it's gone, I'll be leading a sales rebellion. Dude, we're speaking of really something which leads into nicely as to what you talk about on LinkedIn. And I think everyone can probably guess what I'm talking about if you do follow Dale on LinkedIn. And it's the crumpled letter, right? Talking about being human, talking about pattern interruptions, talking about being unique to really stand out. Quickly, before we wrap up the show, tell the audience what is the crumpled letter and how has it been so successful for you? Yeah, so it, it started out as just a single letter that you crumpled up in your hand and delivered to a prospect. It turned into uh, garbage cans full of them or red, bright red envelopes with the words crumpled letter inside on top of them. It became an experience over time more so than just a quote unquote sales gimmick. And today, it's a sequence of events. It's more than just one letter. It's multiple letters. And it's the follow-through to those letters. And it's the bigger picture perspective that you're painting for people through that experience that gets them excited. But the crumbled letter simply was me saying, all right, I've seen some cool ideas around how to get people's attention and to interrupt the typical status quo of somebody's day. And to be that, when you're that pattern disruption for people, they stop and they notice, right? Especially in 
business because from eight to five, they did the same thing over and over again. And most people are not connected with it. They truly are not. That's just the bottom line. So I, I sat back and I said, well, what do people hate about sales calls? They hate sales calls. It's not that they they dislike the copier or they don't want to talk to a guy selling IT or a girl selling phone systems. Like they just, they don't like the sales call itself. So the crumpled letter became this like agnostic concept toward product. And it was 100% aimed at the experience that salespeople give. That most of the experiences deserve to be in the trash or they end up there anyway. And so I pre-crumpled this letter to make it easier for you because I value your time and I care about your outcomes. And I want you to know that. And so there was this, this tie into like values just as much as there was a cool and fun experience. Unique, bro. It's uh, I know it's gone on to take a life of its own because all your all of your community are using it, and it's interesting, dude, that you talk about the current way that things are being done and how you'd like it to look. And look, I said that was the last question, but I need to hit you with one more. And I'm curious to know, in 20 years, right? If you've gone and done everything that you wanted to do with Sales Rebellion in 20 years, in one sentence, what would the world of sales look like if you achieve what you set out to do? That one's easy, bro. If it can happen in 20 years, I'm not saying I'm doubtful. I definitely believe that we can get this done, man. But the entire landscape of, of sales changes that it doesn't become a department, right? It becomes a lifestyle that sales becomes something that is, is more than just a way to sell, right? A way to build our businesses, but it becomes a place that people desire to be in or to go to when they are in need and when they're looking for something that impacts instead of just provides the bills to be paid, right? That's what sales looks like for me in 20 years if we get this done. You had an interesting post. I think it was last week where you said the classic old school salesperson says, I want to get into it because of the money. And the sales rebellion focused salesperson says, I want to get in it for ultimate freedom. And that goes to what you said, man. It's about looking at it in terms of a lifestyle versus this is business. You know, I need to be very business focused here. And yes, yeah, sales are sales. And I'm a human being and a human being is a human being. But I digress, man. Listen, ladies and gents, that is Dale Dupree. Dude, the question I always ask at the end of the show is, you in my eyes rather are what I would say an influential communicator, like I said at the beginning of the show, but who do you you look to? Who does Dale Dupree look to as somebody who's an influential communicator? The only answer I could ever really give to that question is at this point, people think it's a cop-out, but it's my dad. The man, the myth, the legend. I watched a guy live a quote-unquote ordinary life as a business owner for 29 years selling coffee machines right? That a lot of people would just kind of look at as like, yeah, that was pretty successful, right? But but really where his success in life was in the way he communicated with people and the way that he behaved from a standpoint of excellence and the outcomes that I've watched in my lifetime come to fruition or just come to the surface, right? Like things that none of us even knew that he had done and people coming, you know, especially after he passed away to us to tell those stories and say, someone needs to know this about you because it's too good to just like sweep under the rug and let go. And I encourage everyone out there not to look for a celebrity, not to look for some big name and some best-selling book, but to look right in your backyard in your own community because you can find a Curtis Dupree as well too. Their legacies are more loud 
but they're hard to hear because of how noisy the world is when it comes to the way that it wants you to live your life from the perspective of comfort, the status quo, without risk. Right? So for me, it's just about reflecting, inflecting, and then like asking myself, like, who right here around me can influence me and help me tap into my true potential? That's where you find that person. Dude, it's something I want to acknowledge you for before we head out. And it's the idea that a lot of people really struggle with communicating with clarity, confidence, and without um, worrying about what people are going to say about their true opinion. And I think you're a true example of somebody who speaks unfiltered raw and has that sense of clarity about who they are and the way they view the world versus trying to model themselves on, like you said, some celebrity or somebody who's in the space who they resonate with and morphing into that individual. So ladies and gents, if you want to know what a confident communicator looks like, well, then you need to listen to this episode again. So dude, where can people learn more about you and what you're up to? Where do they go? Anybody can head over to thesalesrebellion.com, new website launch coming in the next 30 days. It's probably around the time this podcast drops, most likely. <laughs> SalesRebellion.com is the best way to just find our free Slack channel, learn more about our products and services and that the community that we're leading from a rebellious standpoint. If you like content, I'm on all social channels. The most impactful for, for me particularly is LinkedIn. And so I stay there the, the most often, linkedin.com backslash I and backslash copier warrior. But at SalesRebellion on any other social feed from Facebook to TikTok to Instagram, you can find us, you can find me, come join the movement, come be a rebel. There you have it, ladies and gents. Dale Dupree, a.k.a. The Copier Warrior. I'll see you next week for another episode. Peace. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 